Garcia swings and a drive deep to left field. And that is out of here. Two-run shot. Orlando Arcia as the Brewers take the lead. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Go! Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Hope you had a great weekend. Of course, it was an easy weekend to enjoy, Wisconsin sports fans. I mean, first, the weather was beautiful. Got outside and enjoyed it a little bit. Did a little fishing, a little hiking. It was great. But also, the Brewers took three of four from the Cubs. That felt good, didn't it? Look, I don't know if the Brewers are headed to the playoffs. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Or I don't know if they're going to contend for a World Series. Because this year, the playoffs, they mean a little something different, right? More playoff teams. I don't know if they're a contender, but... I'll watch him beat up on the Cubs anytime. Sign me up. And Packers get practicing. Spring training is kind of officially underway. They also extended Kenny Clark. So it was a weekend of good news, that's for sure, and fun games to watch. And we're going to cover it all. And really, we got to count our blessings here because unlike the past couple of weeks, we weren't hit with this huge batch of bad news. Normally, the last couple of weeks, we've enjoyed the Brewers over the weekend. You know, we escape, we unplug, and then we show back up on Monday and we're just hammered with bad news. We got an outbreak with the Cardinals, an outbreak with the Marlins. We got this, that. Knock on wood, but it's 4 o'clock and we haven't gotten any bad news yet today. So I think we're already coming out ahead. This week is off to a great start. My name is Grant Bills. I'm glad you have tuned in. I'm glad that you're hanging out. This is the Wisco Sports Show, and I'm glad to have you. We're going to try to cover all of it today. We're going to start with Brewers, but Kenny Clark being extended by the Packers is a huge story. So we're going to get to that coming up closer to 5 o'clock as well. I also want to talk about the Bucs, something I didn't even mention. The NBA playoffs started today. Started at noon, and if you have been watching, we're a game and a half in. If you've been watching, it's been incredible so far. The first game were the Nuggets and the Jazz. And Donovan Mitchell went off for almost 60 points, and Jamal Worry almost went off for 40. And the first game went to overtime. So, yeah, I, I think the NBA playoffs has arrived. Uh, the first game did not disappoint. We're in the middle of the second game right now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to watch a little bit while doing this show. We'll see how it goes. Uh, the Raptors are beating up on the Nets right now. That's game number two. So we'll talk NBA playoffs. Kenny Clark. We'll even talk a little bit of college football because there was some news surrounding the Big Ten and other conferences over the weekend and and earlier this afternoon as well. But we got to start with the Brewers. And of course, as always, if you want to join the show, coming up here in about ten minutes, I would love to have you. We'll get the show going. We'll kind of get our, our our foundation built here. We'll get the ball rolling. And then I would love to welcome you in. 608-796-2558 on the five-star telecom talk and text line. So if you want to talk Brewers, I'd love to have you here in about 10 minutes. David Gasper from Reviewing the Brew is going to join us at 430. And we're going to BS a little bit about the weekend series and about some, some newer, younger names on this Brewers team. So I'm hoping David can educate us a little bit. David Gasper, one of my favorite guests. Reviewing the Brew, one of my favorite uh, publications, blogs, news sources, one of my favorite reads. Um, and I don't really love reading. So that that should tell you all you need to know. David will join us coming up at 5.30, or excuse me, 4.30. I have spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks, and you know this, I've spent a lot of time criticizing and complaining about this Brewers team. Now, I still don't think they're very good. I still don't think they're a World Series contender. Now, could they make the playoffs? Sure, but that means a little 
something different this year because two teams from each division make it. Expanded playoffs, right? It means a little something else. So the Brewers could make the playoffs and really not even be that good. I still don't think the Brewers are contenders. This weekend didn't change that for me. I'm not backpedaling or changing my mind about the Brewers and how good they are, but, I mean, let's enjoy this. Let's be fans. How much fun was this weekend? How much fun was this weekend? I was saying on Thursday and Friday last week that this team was getting a little tough to watch because the pitchers were being okay and the offense was okay and the infield and outfield were okay. I I don't want to watch an okay team, right? Eight and eight, that's, that's no place to be. That's mediocre. That's boring. And this team was borderline boring last week. This weekend series against the Cubs was a blast. They lost on Thursday, and we talked about that game last Friday. But then Friday night, Saturday, and yesterday, they won 4-3, 6-5, 6-5 again. This series was electric. It was so much fun. There was a sequence on Friday night. On Friday night, I was at the Eagle's Nest, which is one of my favorite places to watch any sports, not just Wisconsin sports, but to hang out, watch anything. I was there on Friday night. It was very quiet. We were all, you know, having masks on. We were being socially distant. We were being smart. And I had so much fun, so much fun watching Friday night's game. It almost felt like I was watching a Packer playoff game. That's how much fun it was. There was a sequence where Woodruff came on with the lead, walked himself into a jam. Then the Cubs started bringing runs home, and it looked like the game was about to get away from the Brewers. And we all thought, here we go. Right? They lost last night. They're going to lose again tonight. Now, all of a sudden... They're having to win the next two just to split the series against the Cubs. This is not going well. It's what we're all thinking, right? And then Freddie Peralta comes on, mows down Javi Baez and Kyle Schwarber with the bases loaded. Then we go to the bottom of the inning, or I guess the top of the next inning because they're playing at Wrigley, where Christian Yelich hits a three-run homer and they're right back in it. That sequence, and I'm sitting at the corner of the bar, even if it was only with two other people, and we're cheering and the Eagle's Nest is rowdy even though it's only three, <laughs> three people as rowdy as it can get. I'm like, damn, it's like I'm watching a playoff Packer game. And I tweeted that. You can follow me at Keystroker Grant. Baseball was fun again this weekend. I was on the edge of my seat multiple times or leaning into my radio multiple times this weekend. That doesn't necessarily mean this is a World Series team all of a sudden. It doesn't mean that their offense is great all of a sudden. It doesn't mean that they don't have issues. They have issues, and and I think this team's going to go through a lot of ups and downs. But but for us fans, you know, forget the show. Forget, forget what's going on long-term with the Brewers. Just talk about this weekend, sitting down to watch or listen to this team. Wasn't it fun? God, I'm very, very thankful for this weekend series. That's what we needed. In a stressful baseball season, in a stressful year, during an election, which is, God, it's starting to ramp up. It's happening. This is what we needed. A weekend series like that. And on Friday and Saturday, and even yesterday, I suppose, I found myself doing what I like to call bullpen math which shows these games were hardcore and they were exciting. Meaning, when you get to the fifth inning, you start counting in your head. Okay, well, Corey Knable's warming up. He's got the sixth. And then you're sitting with your buddies. It's like, well, in the seventh, do they bring out Burns? And then the eighth, Williams, and the ninth, Hater. And you're doing the math, right? You're lining things up. I haven't done that in, in weeks. I probably haven't done that since last season. When you start doing the bullpen math and you start road mapping your way to victory, that's, that's Brewers baseball, baby. That's what they did in 2018 when they made the NLCS, and that's what they did last year. You start building your path to the ninth inning, right? Well, Corey Knable's got the sixth. Williams got the seventh. Hayter's got the last out in the eighth and in the ninth. Or maybe they go two innings with Hayter. You're doing the math. We are watching baseball, baby. Can you tell I'm excited today? The Brewers are still 500. They're 10 and 10. But interestingly enough, the Cubs, who have really had zero issues this year, like they, they have been gliding 
They took three games off because the Cardinals couldn't play them. Fine. They got right back at it last week. They were fine. This this Cubs team has been gliding. They had yet to lose back-to-back games until this series. The Cubs have lost six games. Four of those losses are to the Brewers. Now, I'm not going to use that statistic to dump on the Cubs. I'm not going to use that statistic to artificially build up the Brewers. But it does illustrate an interesting point, and a point that I think we've all been making for the last three or four years. These two teams bring out the best in each other. And if you're listening and you're a Cubs fan or a Twins fan or a Brewers fan, I'd like to think that we're all nodding in agreement right now. We might not like the Cubs or the Brewers. We might not like each other's teams. But we can respect that when the Cubs and the Brewers match up, these two teams get the absolute best out of each other. And I'd like to think if you're driving right now or maybe you're listening at work that all Brewers fans and Cubs fans are like, you know what, damn right. Damn right we bring the best out of each other. Like, that's one thing we can agree on, right? There's a few examples just from this weekend of these two teams bringing the best out of each other. Yesterday, the best example for the Cubs was the ninth inning when Josh Shader came in and got the save. And he retired all three batters he faced. But that doesn't begin to tell the story. Hader brings out the best in the Cubs, although he's dominated the Cubs. He still took the best shot from all three hitters last night. Bodie worked a nine-pitch at bat before eventually striking out. Nine pitches. That was the first batter of the ninth inning. Took nine pitches to retire, and Brewers fans were starting to sweat. We're like, okay. Okay, Josh Hader still hasn't given up a hit this year. Still haven't given up a run. Is this the inning? Is this the inning? Nope. Wipes him out after a nine-pitch at bat. Then Baez gets up there and grounds out which is incredible because Javi Baez, more so than any player in the league, is just addicted to striking out to Josh Hader. Baez grounds out, almost gets in at first base. Hader tags him just in time. There was a review. And then Nico Horner, the Cubs' nine hitter. Hader went up against 7-8-9 in the ninth inning. Statistically and traditionally, the easiest three hitters to retire, right? And that's the Cubs. They don't have a soft spot in their lineup. Nico Horner comes in and fights off 13 pitches before lining out to center field to Avi Garcia. Isn't this insane? The Cubs are now one of 37 with 19 strikeouts against Josh Hader since game 163. Brewers fans, does it really feel like it? Like every time he's up there, it feels like a battle. feels like a war because these two teams bring out the best in each other. Hader saw the the full strength of the Cubs yesterday. Not a soft spot in the lineup. He was up against 7-8-9 and they see a ton of pitches. That makes his Cubs team really difficult to beat. And that's a compliment you got to give to this Brewers pitching staff. Seeing a lot of pitches and a lot of hitters top to bottom, really no time to catch your breath because even Horner and Baez at the bottom of the order and Bodie, they can get it done. They can get it done. Now, Craig Council said we were able to come from behind and hang with the Cubs this weekend because we pitched really, really well. That was the biggest factor, according to the Brewers manager. You know, we hung with them and and it's because we pitched well again. And, you know, some early runs, our starters kind of kept it going. Um but it was, they were team efforts. I think come come from behind wins are always team efforts because you got to have a lot of things. People got to do their job for the last, you know, a lot of people are going to get involved in that. So that's what we've had the last three days. Um, you know, offensively, a lot of guys have done a nice job. Um, the bullpens, you know, carried their weight for sure and, and done a really nice job. Um, so that's that's how you got to put streaks together. You got to get a talked about that before a lot of guys contributing and that's what we had the last three days. Craig Council saying the Brewers were able to take three or four from the Cubs and come from behind a couple of times because they pitched so well. The pitching staff had been fine coming in. Woodruff and Hauser have been great, but other than Woody and Hauser, I mean, it's been media the road. It's been mediocre. But because they were able to pitch, they were able to come back and get some wins. The Cubs and the Brewers bring out the best in each other. The Brewers' example. Urias and Arcia yesterday combined 
went six for eight. That's the eight nine hitter. That's the bottom of the order, the very bottom of the barrel. Number eight, number nine. Urias, four at bats, three hits, two runs scored. Arcia, four at bats, three hits, three runs scored, and two RBIs. That's the bottom of the order. They were getting on base. They were active. They were manufacturing offense so that when Keston Hero finally got up to the plate to hit that three-run home run, that home run counted for three runs because Arcia and Urias and Ryan Braun also at the top of the order. They were active. They were good yesterday. These teams bring the best out of each other, even out of the eighth and the ninth hitters. Oh, Arcia is the perfect example, by the way, of this Brewers-Cubs effect, right? Both of these teams play up to their potential. Orlando Arcia almost hit for the cycle yesterday. Orlando Arcia is an average player who's kind of a wild card. That's how I like to classify him. But against the Cubs, he always steps up his game because the Cubs get the best out of the Brewers. Arcia was a double away from the cycle yesterday, but in true Orlando Arcia fashion, he chose in the ninth inning to ground into a double play instead because that's not his mainstream. And you know what? Orlando Arcia is anything but mainstream. I think I think he felt too cool to hit for the cycle yesterday. He's like, you know what? This isn't me. I'm going to ground into a double play instead. The cycle, that's not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm not mainstream in that way. And I got a kick out of that. The Brewers have had three... Uh, or two, excuse me, two three-run home runs in two of the last three games. That was the difference, I think, this weekend offensively. Craig Council alluded to it in his presser yesterday. The home runs in yesterday's game and the day before, and, and Keston Hira hit a home run, and we'll talk more about that coming up. Keston Hira hit the home run yesterday to get it back into him, but that home run was not a Justin Smoke solo shot that meant nothing in the sixth inning to make the score 4-1. to one. Right? It wasn't a Justin Smoke solo shot, there were men on base. These were important home runs. They had two, three home run, three run home runs this weekend. Twice they did it because guys were getting on. Ursia, Urias, Braun yesterday at the top of the order. Eight and nine hitters, baby. Eight and nine hitters step up when the Brewers play the Cubs. Both sides because these two teams get the best out of each other. And I have no doubt that the next time these two teams match up, we'll be having the same conversation about even the worst player on the Brewers roster stepping up to play well. Same with the Cubs, because that's what these teams do when they match up against each other. I want to continue to talk about the Brewers, continue to talk about Orlando Arcia, because I just, I have a blast. And I also, I have to apologize for something. I was wrong about something last week as it pertains to the Brewers. I don't do this very often. I don't apologize very often, because I'm not wrong very often, at least not this season. I have one thing to apologize for, uh, and I, and a couple of things to share about this Brewers game before we talk to David Gasper of reviewing the brew coming up at 4.30. I'd also love to take your calls, your texts on the Five Star Telecom talking text line, 608-796-2558. When we come back, it's the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. Hope you had a great weekend. You're settling into your week. Nicely, Of course, it's easier when there's playoff NBA basketball on all day. The Jazz and the Nuggets got things started. That game was unreal. Currently, and unfortunately for me, because I love the Nets, Toronto is just, just spanking the Brooklyn Nets. And my guy, Karis LeVert, Big Ten guy, all of, our, all of us. He's, he's all of our guy. Just, just getting spanked by the Raptors. We're going to talk more about the NBA and the NBA playoffs coming up after 5 o'clock right now. We are dwelling and just kind of basking in the Brewers' weekend series win over the Chicago Cubs. David Gasper from reviewing the Brew 
is going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes. First, I, I need to apologize for something uh, that I said last week. Uh, this doesn't happen often. I have not been wrong about the Brewers very often this year, but I do need to apologize for something. And before I do that, I want to admit and I want to establish that creative brilliance uh, is not very often appreciated in its time. There's many examples of this. Nikola Tesla, Vincent Van Gogh, right? Throughout history of, of science, innovation, art, like a lot of guys aren't appreciated in their time. Right? They, they only come to appreciate these creators, these artists, uh, these scientists after they are long gone. I had a take last week that I don't think the world was ready for at the time. I think it was about six days early. I think I should, I should have held on to that take and I should have dumped it on you today because I think today it can be appreciated. Right? I think I was a little bit, I jumped the gun a little bit. I apologize for that. I was wrong. I would like to reshare this take with you very quickly. It was my Craig Council is figuring out this team take. Remember this last week? I think it was a series and a half. It, I said it before the Twins game and before the Cubs series. I think I needed to wait until after the Twins and the Cubs series. I think I needed to save it until today. And I, I, I popped off a little bit too soon. And I apologize for that. Craig Council is starting to figure out this team. And you're seeing it, right? Craig Council is amazing in September, right? He doesn't just excel in September because of the weather. Although, well, although... He does look really good in a, I think Craig Council rocks a hoodie very, very well. It's very slimming. So maybe that is part of it. But he's very good in September because he's had 130 games to watch his team. He's had 130 games to figure out his bullpen and his offense. He's had 130 games to test out buttons. I'm going to push this button. going to push this button. Try this pitcher here. Try this pitcher there. And over the course of 130 games or the season up until the beginning of September, he's got time. Right, He's learning. He's tinkering. And by the time this team hits September, they are well-oiled because Craig Council knows the ins and the outs, the strengths and the weaknesses, and they're ready to take off. And we've seen that the last couple of years. I said that last week. I'm like, all right, we're 15 games in. Craig Council has figured out this team. And then the Twins, you know, did Twins things. But then the Brewers got back against a familiar opponent in a familiar ballpark, right, in Wrigley Field against a familiar foe, and they got it done. So once again, I will say, now the Brewers are 20 games in, and Craig Council has figured this team out. Now, some of you may think I'm a little bit too in love with Craig Council. Look, I'll, just, I'll tell you straight, he's the best manager in the National League. You're not going to find a better manager right now in baseball. He's the longest tenured in the National League for a reason, because he's really, really good at what he does. Now, some of you may think I'm too in love with Craig Council. I'm sorry. I feel responsible to spread the truth and to spread the good news about Craig Council. The good word. I hear people all the time say he should be fired, that they need to move off Craig Council. That is a trash take. So if you believe that Craig Council should be fired, I would ask you, please, to reevaluate things, to watch this team objectively, and then come back and tell me that Craig Council should be fired because that's a trash take. If you believe that, just be better. Just watch the games more closely read a little bit more closely, and actually understand what's going on. I think Craig Council has overmanaged this team. I think this team has won more games than they should have this year. Because I don't think the roster is very good. I don't think the offense is very good. Starting rotations, actually, I, I think it's. I think David Stern's kind of killed it with the starting rotation this year. Now they got to figure out the last guy in the rotation, but between Woodruff, Hauser, Lindblom, uh, Burns, who's going to go back in the rotation tomorrow, I, I think they got a great start there. Right, I'm being objective about Stearns, too. He, the, the, the pitchers he brought in, like Lindblom, has worked really well. But Craig Council has managed this team to a couple more wins, I think, than they deserve having. Craig Council is a really, really good manager. Sometimes I might 
be a little bit over the top on Council. I apologize. It's just because I care. That's all. For me, Craig Council has the leeway and the freedom to make just about any any move, to put out any lineup, to put any pitcher in any situation. He has earned that with me. Maybe not with you, but with me. There are, however, a few exceptions where even Craig Council will lose me. And I'm just about the biggest Craig Council supporter there is. He'll lose me sometimes. I would like to, right now, prove that I'm an objective radio host and I'm an objective follower of the Brewers because I'm going to share with you the do's and the don'ts, the cans and the can'ts, what Craig Council actually can't do because there are very few things. Craig Council can do just about whatever he wants. He can manage his team just about whatever way he wants. But there are a few exceptions. These are non-starters, non-negotiables. Craig Council has to do these things. I have a couple bullet points. Number one, Keston Hira, Christian Yelich, Avi Garcia, and Orlando Arcia play every day. Every day. And I don't think there's much debate about Christian Yelich or Keston Hira. Craig Council said last week, or I guess two weeks ago, when Lorenzo Cain opted out, that Avi Garcia was going to play the most, so he's in center field. Well, if that logic still holds up, then Avi Garcia needs to play every day. Or pert near every day. Yelich, Hira, and Avi Garcia are everyday players. They need to play every day. However, I also include Orlando Arcia in that group. Did anybody watch what Orlando Arcia did yesterday? He didn't single-handedly win that game for the Brewers. But that game's not even close if Orlando Arcia doesn't almost hit for the cycle. And like I said, he could have hit a double to, to complete the cycle. I That was too mainstream. That's not like Orlando Arcia. He grounded to the double play. That's much more his brand. The Brewers won anyway. Orlando Arcia plays every day. And coming up in a few minutes, I want to ask David Gasper about that concept because Urias looks pretty darn good. He looks electric. He looks like a player that should be in the lineup every day as well. So I'm going to ask him about how they balance that. Keston here, Christian Yelich, Avi Garcia, and Orlando Arcia play Every day, no exceptions. Other than that, Craig Council can do what he wants. He can rotate guys in and out. He can slide them around. Those four dudes in the lineup every day. That's rule number one. Rule number two, do not bench Manny Pena. Now, I don't expect Manny Pena to play every day the way that I do with Hira Yelich, Garcia, and Arcia. But I I want Manny Pena at this point to at least get 50% of the starts. I would prefer two-thirds of the starts. Right, Two of the three games every series Manny Pena gets. Now, if Omar Narvaez at some point actually remembers how to use a baseball bat, then that number can change. By the way, Omar Narvaez is 0 for his last 12. I was weirdly okay with him hitting leadoff the other night, though. Like, if you're going to play Omar Narvaez, shake it up a little bit. Putting him at leadoff, that's a strategy Craig Council has used to get a quiet hitter going. It worked with Avi Garcia last week. It did not work with Omar Narvaez. But I appreciate the effort, Craig Council. I appreciate you always trying new things. If you're going to play Narvaez, shake it up. And he did the other night. However, Omar Narvaez is 0 for his last 12. At this point, I want Manny Pena to start 2 of 3, 4 of 5. Like, I want him getting most of the time. The Brewers obviously value Omar Narvaez enough to bring him in as a free agent. So I don't doubt that there's something there. And that at some point, he will be a productive player, I hope. So he has to play. I'm not asking Craig Council to indefinitely bench Omar Narvaez. But until that situation becomes figured out, that equation becomes solved, which I have no doubt Council will do in the coming weeks. Don't forget about Manny Pena. Play him the majority of the time. Manny Pena is a very, very good catcher. He's tremendous defensively, and he's been able to hold his own offensively even when nobody's been expecting it the last couple of years. That's rule number two. Don't forget about Manny Pena. Number three, 
And this is my final rule, and this might be the biggest, the most important, and one of the many things that I have been 100% unapologetically right on this Brewers season. Number three, Freddie Peralta stays in the bullpen. Period. End of story. It's done. Don't discuss it. Freddie Peralta is electric out of the bullpen. Tremendous. Friday, you saw it. Freddie Peralta came in. I just want you to appreciate this. Freddie Peralta came in, entered the game on Friday with the bases loaded and only one man out. The Brewers are already down a couple of runs. The Cubs have all the momentum, and it's looking like if this game continues on its current trajectory, the Cubs are going to win two of the first two games, and they're headed towards a sweep or winning three out of four or at worst splitting. It's not looking good. Freddie Peralta, in that moment of that game, comes in, strikes out two of the best hitters on that Cubs lineup, and, like, looks really impressive. Like, he got Javi Baez whiffing at nothing but air, and he struck out Kyle Schwarber. That was the turning point in the series. I'm not going to say it was the turning point in the season. That'd be a little dramatic. We'll see how the next, you know, couple of days go, couple of series go. Freddie Peralta is built different when he's pitching out of the pen. And once again, if this was something, a new realization to you this weekend that Freddie Peralta is better out of the pen, you you must not have been listening because, you know, me and my listeners, we've been talking about this for, for weeks now. Freddie Peralta is a beast out of the bullpen. And he's a really, really useful player. Corbin Burns, we'll see. He's going to be back in the starting rotation tomorrow. But Freddie Peralta stays in the bullpen. That's it. End of story. So those are my three exceptions. Craig Council can do whatever he wants. He can manage however he wants. As long as Kirich, Yellow Garcia, and Arcia play every day. Manny Pena gets his fair share of playing time, which is right now more than 50% of the time. And number three, Freddie Peralta stays in the pen. That's easy. There you go. See, I'm objective. I can be critical of Craig Council, too. If Craig Council strays from one of those three rules, which are very scientific, and I took hours forming and wording, if Craig Council strays from that, then we're going to rip him because we're objective. But other than that, he has earned the right and earned the freedom to manage however he wants. And I'm going to continue spreading the good word of Craig Council and his elite management on this show for weeks and months to come. Unapologetically as well, because the Brewers win and it's because of their manager. A huge part of it is is because of their manager. When we come back, I want to talk to our friend David Gasper from Reviewing the Brew. I want to talk about a couple players we're just getting to know, including Urias and Rasmussen, who's a relief pitcher they called up. I want to be educated a little bit. I also want to talk about Josh Hader because I I thought coming into this year, he was on the downslide. I thought we had seen Josh Hader's best stuff. I don't think that's the case. I want to talk about Josh Hader. And I also want to talk about uh, how they might handle the infield with Urias and RCN and a bunch of players who all should be in the lineup after this weekend, but I don't know if there's the space. So we're going to get some clarification on all that. Talk to our good friend, D. Gasper, coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolls on. We're talking Brewers. It was a really, really, really fun weekend series. The Brewers are 500. Like, I'm not saying three out of four from the Cubs is going to propel them to the World Series. It might not even propel them to a playoff spot. We don't know. But in a weird season, in a weird year, I'm I'm just okay to kind of revel in a couple of wins and a couple of really fun games. David Gasper now joins us on the Five Star Telecom Talking Text Line. Uh, he writes for Reviewing the Brew. It is my number one spot, of course, right alongside WKTYsports.com. My number one spot uh, to learn about the Brewers, to get my fix on extra Brewers content, all that stuff. He now joins us... Uh, David, I don't like typically ask open-ended questions. I don't 
ask generic questions because I try to be a little bit more specific, but it feels okay today for some reason. I'm just going to kind of open the floor to you. Like the Brewers look kind of like a different team this weekend. What was the biggest difference? What was the biggest factor in getting killed by the twins, but then being able to turn around and, and take three or four from the Cubs who have been as good as anyone in major league baseball here throughout the, the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think the big key for the Brewers in that weekend series was the offense finally got in sync. They they started to wake up, and they were able to string some hits together, get some rallies, have some uh, really good innings. And, you know, a lot of their hitters that, that have been slumping throughout most of the season so far have finally started to make some solid contact and, and get some hits fall. I mean, Justin, Justin Smoke has been struggling. Um, he had a couple of couple of big hits. Avisel Garcia, uh, Ryan Braun, always coming up big in Wrigley against the Cubs. Um, Luis Urias, Orlando Arcia, they've been playing or they they were hitting extremely well there. So, you know, the offense was finally able to uh, keep pace with uh, their opponents, and they're able to answer back uh, when their pitching staff gave up some runs, and they were able to you know, just kind of stay in the game. And, you know, maybe it's just playing against the Cubs just brings that kind of energy for them. Uh, but, yeah, it's, you know, it was just really something to finally see that offense come alive there in those final three games. It was cool to see the Brewers down 3 nothing, and then kind of cast the game off as, okay, they're done. And then they come back and they tie it. It's like, okay, well, I will pay attention to this game. I will take this game seriously. That's not really a feeling that I had had so far this season this, this Brewers team has been so easy to put away. I mean, you put three or four runs on them, and chances are you're going to win. That was not the case this weekend. Uh, Gasper, I think Orlando Arcia should be an everyday player. I just cannot quit this guy. I think he's a wild card. He, you, he shows up when you least expect it, and then, of course, he strikes out when you least expect it as well. Just when you think he's playing well, he'll ground into a double play. I think he should play every single day. However, Urias or Urias or Urias, I've heard it a million different ways. The new guy, Louis Yu. He seems like a player the Brewers seem to think the world of. They love him. What's the best way for Council to maximize both Urias and Orlando Arcia? Because I think they both need to be in the lineup after what we saw the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, both of these two guys, I mean, they, they've had um, some some really great starts to the season so far. And Orlando Arcia, I mean, although he's struggled offensively the past couple of years, I mean, through the first, you know, almost 50 at-bats now, he's hitting over 300. He's hitting 304. Uh, with an OPS of, of 803, and you know he's really uh, been playing pretty well. He got his first homer of the season the other day. Uh, he's got he's got eight RBIs. He's not really striking out. He he's making contact. He's he's getting hits. Um, he finished a double shy of the cycle on in, on Sunday. So, I mean, he's been he's been playing extremely well. And then Luis Urias, uh, he's come he's come in and he's been hitting even better. I mean, he's only got 19 at bats so far this season, but he's hitting 474. I mean, he's got nine hits in those 19 at bats. He's got a triple in there. He's got you know four RBIs. He's not striking out. He's a contact guy. He's got an OPS over a thousand. I mean, he has come up and he's playing extremely well. And it's still a small sample size, but I mean, I wrote about this for reviewing the Brew um, yesterday that Luis Arias. I mean, he should be playing every day as well, and, and he should move up to the leadoff spot. Eric Sogard has kind of struggled, and uh, the Brewers have really kind of lacked a presence atop the lineup uh, ever since Lorenzo Cain opted out. So I, I think Luis Arias, I mean, he's always had that kind of pedigree as a top-of-the-order type guy, uh, and he's got the bat to be able to do it. And, 
You know, I, I think he's someone that would make a lot of sense to put up there, and I think he should be playing every day. And the way RC is hitting, you can't really take him out either, and they're both kind of in the battle for that shortstop spot. Uh, but Urias, I mean, he can play all over the infield there. So something that I think would, would maximize those two is putting Urias at third, uh, at least in the meantime, having RC at short, having those two play just about every single day. And then with Urias, Arcia, and then Kesson here at second base, I mean, the way all three of those guys are, I mean, that's a pretty strong infield yeah. right there. Um, Arcia doesn't have the track record as a hitter as uh, Urias and, and Hira, but the way he's hitting right now, I mean, it's really kind of hard to deny the, the success that he's had with the changes that he made to his swing over the offseason. And you could still have Orlando Arcia batting ninth and, Urias batting leadoff, and you still kind of get that one-two punch because it seemed like this weekend they just kept on one-upping each other. I mean, Luis Urias gets a single, Orlando Arcia follows with a double, mm-hmm. and then next time around, Urias hits a triple, and then Arcia follows back with a home run. Like it just, it just kept on going back and forth, trying to one-up each other, and you know, it, it was really something to see. It was, and and I think of it as complimentary baseball, which the Brewers had been terrible at up until this point. I don't know if complimentary baseball is an idea, but like complimentary football, right? Your defense picks up your yeah. offense when they get a turnover, right? The, the, the offense goes and scores when the defense gives them a turnover, right? Same idea in baseball. It seemed up until this point in this weekend that even when the Brewers would string a couple hits together, their pitchers would find a way in the middle of a great outing to turn around and give those runs right back. And it felt like that trend reversed just a little bit this weekend, which is a really positive sign. David Gasper reviewing the brew on the five-star telecom talk and text line. You mentioned something about it's hard to deny success and the results. Well, let's let's talk about that for a sec. I think the Brewers are in denial about, about Manny Pena. He's a good catcher. Like, <laughs> and I think sometimes they yeah. look for excuses to not put him out there. Now, I get they value Narvaez and they brought him in. But with Omar Narvaez, I'm seeing something that I saw last summer where they denied all summer long keeping Keston here in the minors. They're like, no, we need to get Travis Shaw going. We need to get Shaw going. And they wasted how many games last summer? I don't want to see them do the same thing with Narvaez and Pena. Can you sell me a little bit on Omar Narvaez and, and exactly why the Brewers value him so much? Because, like, I didn't know much about him until he got here in the spring, and I learned, and, and I just haven't seen it yet. So so sell me on Omar Narvaez and why they need to get him going, because I'm almost at the point where you play Pena six out of seven games. That's how I feel right now. Sell me, Sell me on Narvaez. Yeah, the Narvaez Pena debate is, is certainly an interesting one. Um, you know, I, I've, I've said for a couple of days now that Manny Pena should be playing more often, although the way that he's been hitting and, and defensively what he is. But, you know, Narvaez, I mean, he's been a proven uh, hitter at the big league level over several years now. For, for the past three years, he's hit 275 or better. Um, with you know above average, with an above average uh, OPS plus um, for for each of the past couple of years, and the power came around last year, and the the Brewers know that the talent is there. They paid a, a relatively high price again that with the high draft pick and um, the 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 pitcher from from Low A, I think it was Smith. And so, uh, either way, they they paid a prospect and and draft pick to mm-hmm. get Narvaez. And, you know, he's under control for the next three or so years. He's kind of the guy that they're expecting to be their starter going forward. And, and he's had a rough stretch to, to start the season for the first couple of weeks. I mean, he's hitting a buck 40. You know, the, the bat, the bats just really haven't been there. He's looked, you know, overmatched. He's looked lost at the plate. Um, and, and, you know, maybe a, a, 
an option down to um, the alternate training site could could get him going, um, or, or just something where they, they need to give him a couple of days uh, to to really just kind of get some rest and, and reset himself. Yeah. I mean, the, the Brewers did that with Christian Yelich. They they sat him down for a day, and then they brought him back, and you know now all of a sudden Christian Yelich is, is hitting a lot better. So. You know, Narvaez, they invested a lot in him. They, they believe in him, um, and they want to give him the opportunities to get the bat, to get the bat going. That's why they put him in the leadoff spot the other day, even though he is not your uh, traditional, typical leadoff hitter. No. But, uh, yeah, they're just trying to, to get him going and give him some sort of opportunities and just kind of swing his way out of the slump. Um but in, in an abbreviated season like this, at some point you just got to go with the hot hand and go with who helps you win and get as many wins as possible. And right now it's probably Manny Pena. I think he brings a superior package offensively and defensively. Um, but when Narvaez is right, he is a better hitter than Pena. Uh, it, it's just a matter of getting him to that point. Yeah, and I hope he does reach that point because I, I want this Brewers team to be as, as good as possible. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to waste time, right? If Manny Pena is playing well, I like Manny Pena. I think all Brewers fans like Manny Pena. He's been here. He understands how this team works and how Craig Council manages. I think he's really valuable, and I hate to see him sitting on the bench. Uh, David Gasper reviewing the Brew. One more question. Uh, can we talk about Josh Hader really quickly? I, I, I came into yeah. the season thinking that maybe we had seen the best of Josh Hader. They'd used him a ton a lot of multi-inning appearances last year, more than anybody in baseball. Well, up there, but n- nobody better in baseball at multi-inning appearances than Josh Hader. This season has made me think twice about that because Josh Hader's dealt with some interesting things, right? He's gone five, six, seven days without pitching, come in in high-leverage situations and be great. He's also added a slider, which he's comfortable throwing for strikes. We saw it yesterday, um, and and Nico Horner, I mean, fouled a couple off, but th- those were strikes, right? Those were put-away pitches, those sliders. Is this the best version of Josh Hader we're seeing right now, or, or is this just a great start to the season? I, I don't know if I've ever seen him pitch better than this. Yeah, it's certainly been interesting. I mean, he's finally using that slider uh, a lot more often. I mean, in, in the past, I mean, he's been relying solely on the fastball. And uh, if you recall, at the beginning of 2019, I mean, he threw only fastballs for his first several appearances. And, you know, it, it was just, you know, almost kind of concerning like how much he was not using his slider. Like, yeah, the fastball is a good pitch, but no matter how good it is, eventually at some point hitters will be able to come around on it and, and they'll be able to turn on it. So he's got to have that slider, and it looks like he's worked on it. He's worked on refining it and being able to command it more over the off season, And it, it's really helped him out. He's willing to throw it more often. He's willing to start guys off with sliders. He's willing to throw it in, in just about any count, and it's keeping hitters off balance uh, during their at-bats, and that's what's really kind of helping us see the best version of Josh Hader, when he can keep them off balance, when they're not just sitting fastball. And even if you're sitting as fastball, you're not always going to be able to get it, yeah. but if they still have to be concerned about that slider being thrown in any count, it just makes it that much more difficult on the hitters to actually be able to get hard contact against him and, and that's why we're seeing the best version of Josh Hader uh, that, that we've seen at least since his uh, 2018 uh, debut. Yeah, I mean, even if even if you're expecting a fastball, you might not be able to hit it. Imagine if you try to hit a fastball while also worrying about a slider and, and other pitches in the back of your mind, too. I, I think this is the best version of Hader that we've seen at least so far. The season's early. He's got, what, 
five or six outings, it's it's still early. The Brewers are off tonight, Casper. Yeah. What are you going to do? Are, are you going to watch like should we, should we re- rewatch <laughs> old Brewers games tonight and and grind that way, or should we watch something completely else? You got plans for your your off night? Uh, well, right now I'm watching the uh, Colorado Avalanche uh, Arizona Coyotes game, uh, oh. the, the hockey game on, on NBC Sports. So might watch some hockey or. Or something else, just trying to you know keep occupied since there's no brew game, or you know maybe just you know one of the other baseball games that's on. Yeah, I'm, I'll watch just about anything right now. We went months without it, so I'm <laughs> down to basically throw anything on the TV. Gasper, I appreciate you. You can find his stuff at reviewing the brew. Hey, have a good night. Enjoy your uh, your off night, and and let's talk again soon. I like having you on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, uh, Gasper. Sounds good. Take care. <laughs> you got it, man. David Gasper reviewing the brew. He actually just put a piece out. Uh, yesterday, I see that he updated it six hours ago. I'm looking at it right now. But he's making his case that Luis Urias should play every day and hit leadoff. I agree that Urias should be playing just about every day. I also feel that way about Arcia and others, as we talked about. When we come back, before we reset at 5 o'clock, I want to talk about Packers, the Kenny Clark extension after 5 o'clock. But first, some some concerning, but maybe also sat- satisfying news, maybe for the Big Ten and college football today, especially with as it pertains to the ACC in North Carolina. We'll talk about that and revisit a conversation that I had with our friend Jesse Temple of The Athletic last week. College football talk coming up before 5 o'clock here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. You can follow me on Twitter, at Keystroker Grant, you can follow the guest that we just spoke to, David Gasper, on Twitter. Very simple. Uh, David Gasper. Two very easy names. You can find him and his work. One of my favorite sites for my Brewers News. Big, big reviewing the Brew Guy. I wonder if um, I wonder if Gasper would send me some merch. I wonder if they have sweatshirts, hats. I'd sport one. Absolutely. Big thanks to Gasper. You can check out the podcast at WKTYsports.com if you missed that conversation. Talked a little bit about Hater. Urias, Arcia, the offense over the weekend, just kind of reveling in the Brewers taking three or four from their rivals and, and kind of resetting their season almost, getting back to 500. Uh, we still got to get to the Kenny Clark extension before six o'clock. We have a lot to get to, but I wanted to talk college football for just a couple of minutes, just a few. I noticed Dave, who hosts the WK2I Morning Show, Dave Carney, uh, I, I was checking out his arterial uh, the the arterial daily poll question, which of course lives at WKTYsports.com and on Twitter as well, which basically asked, like, there's a petition going around in the Big Ten, right? And I'll actually just read it. Will Justin Fields' We Want a Season Big Ten petition that has over 200,000 signatures actually restart college football this fall for the Big Ten and Pac-12? That's the question, right? Will the petition work? Now, 83% of you say no, 16% holding out hope, you say yes. I think this is a really interesting subject. First, before we get into this and before we talk details, let me answer the question yes or no very succinctly. It better not. The Big Ten better not go back on its decision because of some petition, right? The Big Ten, according to their words, decided and made their decision based on medical evidence and medical experts. They also made this decision to best protect the athlete's health and safety and the health and safety of their students and faculty and their community, right? Medical evidence, health and safety, medical experts. What, what, what bit of evidence that they used supposedly should be swayed by a petition? I don't care how many signatures it has. If the Big Ten backpedals on this decision based on a petition that's going around that a bunch of athletes and their parents sign, 
that would be a terrible look for the Big Ten. How spineless How spineless would the Big Ten be if they apparently made this decision based on the experts and all the medical advice and, and in the best interest of everybody if they're like, well, I guess if you guys really want, we can play. Right? If all of their logic remains true and all of their evidence is solid, like they say it is, then it shouldn't matter how many people sign the petition. Not a, not everything is a democracy, right? We Because we grow up in America and as we're seeing right now, we... We've really kind of had it easy the last 20 years. I've never lived through a world war. I don't remember 9-11. Certainly never lived through a pandemic before. And I think our country's figuring that out right now. That occasionally we actually do have to go through some challenging times. Not everything is a democracy. My dad used to tell me this all the time growing up. It'd be like, hey, let's all vote. And my dad would be like, you think you you get a vote? That's funny. Not everything is a democracy. And everybody is upset because the players don't get a say in the matter. The players don't get a vote. They don't get to say their piece. Well, like, am I? Am I the only one who remembers a couple of weeks ago when there was a COVID-19 outbreak in the Marlins organization? Everybody lost their mind and flipped out because Don Mattingly and the Marlins asked the players what they wanted to do. And they said, well, the players wanted to play. They said, we're good to go. So we played. And everybody's like, you let the players decide? That was what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? And now we're freaking out? They didn't let the players decide? You can't, you can't, you can't have it both ways. And I might sound a little salty right now. I might sound like I'm against college football happening, which is absolutely not the case. But I'm sure you saw the news today. And if you haven't already, I'll share it with you. North Carolina is going virtual. They're going digital, all online. After one week of class, because there are four or five outbreaks of COVID-19 between their residence halls, between all these buildings, even though the Orange County Health Department and all the entities in Chapel Hill in North Carolina said, this is a bad idea. You can't do this. You can't do that. North Carolina said, screw that. We're doing it anyway. And now they're dealing with COVID. And one, one week, which for most students is probably four days, four and a half days of classes, they're shutting it all down. That, that's why I don't, I don't buy into this narrative that college students are safer on campus, that athletes are safer on campus because they'll have incentive to be smart. Incentive is great. Good intentions are great. But incentive... And intentions, that's not what that's not what moves the world, right? The cliche expression, the road to hell is paved with bad intentions. These, these college campuses are going to be COVID-19 minefields. Everywhere you step, you're going to have to dodge big groups, lecture halls, parties, bars, big lines. I don't care how many tests they're doing. I don't care how many medical experts are standing by. If you let your child walk through a minefield because there was a doctor waiting on the other side, I think that's a little bit misguided, right? How is this any different? Well, yeah, they're going to they're gonna be all around COVID, but they'll be tested and they'll have medical experts or they could just stay home. They could just stay home and be safe like everyone else. Once again, I'm not cheering against college football. I hope it goes over well in the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12. I hope it works. And no doubt the Big 10 will have to deal with that fallout if the football season goes off without a hitch in other conferences and they decided to sit out. It'll be a bad look. They'll deal with that. But the early returns are not promising. UNC went back to school for a week. A week! Which is what? Four, four, maybe five days of classes for most students? Nuh-uh. There's no way. There's no way this is working. Unless you put the players in their own bubble and you send all the kids home. But do we really expect these universities to only keep athletes on campus and send everyone else home? What kind of message does that send? Because everybody already says, last couple of weeks, people have been saying, these aren't educational institutions. They are football institutions that also happen to educate. Well, if we send all the kids home and only keep the players, well, 
doesn't exactly uh, go against that narrative that's been kind of rising up. It's it's tough. It's tough, and North Carolina's figuring that out. So I'm not cheering against college football, but just going off the evidence we've seen today, it doesn't exactly look great. I want to talk about the big news of the weekend, which is Kenny Clark signing his extension with the Packers. We'll get back into the Brewers, and the NBA playoffs have started. All of that coming up after 5 o'clock here on the Wisco Sports Show.